if you're thinking of coming into the fitness industry as a second career later in life, I want to welcome you with open arms. I think we need it. I think it will help other older adults see that they can do it because they see that you've done it. They see that you work out at a higher level. They can work out at a higher level. And I think that people who are older coming into this field, if you specialize working with the older adult, you are going to have a clientele and that clientele is going to be loyal to you. So come join us. Welcome to the Second Act Pit Pros podcast, the show where I highlight the vibrant and active lives of health and fitness professionals in their second act. I'm your host, Erin, a functional aging specialist, and I'm here to introduce you to a diverse range of professionals dedicated to empowering individuals over 50 to live well, thrive, and embrace their second act through movement and improved health. Join me as we explore the endless possibilities and opportunities in the health and fitness field. For this episode, I have a very special and important guest to me, Dr. Jan Schroeder. She's a professor of kinesiology at Long Beach State University. She was my professor, and she has served as a mentor for me in this field, and I'm so excited to have her on this podcast. She is the co-director of the Fitness and Integrated Training Techniques Laboratory, the Fit Lab, a research center focused on trends in fitness programming. Her area of expertise centers on older adult and women's fitness. She holds over 20 licenses and certifications from certified group exercise instructor to certified exercise physiologist to x-ray technician for bone densitometry. Dr. Schroeder has published over 60 research and applied articles and prepared over 40 presentations. She is also the 2021 IDEA Health and Fitness Association Fitness Leader of the Year. Dr. Jan Schroeder is a very important person in my life. She's responsible for getting me involved in working with older adults, and I'm so excited to have her on this podcast. We talk about a number of considerations to get started as a fitness professional that include how to chart your education path, the reputable certification companies, how to get hands-on experience in this field, recent trends in income, and the work lifestyle of being in this field. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jan Schroeder. Jan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Erin. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. Thanks for being here. I wanted to start by talking about our background, how I know you. And then I thought we could jump into some questions about the fitness industry because you are a professor at Cal State Long Beach. <laughs> kinesiology. I met you, I think it was somewhere around like 2000, 2001. I was a student Yeah, a long there. time ago. <laughs> it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. And you had just started this fitness program mm -hmm. under the kinesiology department at Cal State Long Beach. And I was looking to get my degree in kinesiology, but I didn't want to go through a clinical track. I didn't want to train athletes. I was kind of looking on where I wanted to be in kinesiology. And you had just started the fitness degree. So it's kind of serendipitous that I ran into you right at the time that you had created this degree. But you've been a major influence in my life in that you had guided me towards working with older adults. And you had said, you know, I think if you really want some longevity, no pun intended, in the fitness industry, you should look at training older adults. So I took that advice and you had steered me towards taking a certification in silver sneakers. And I did that. And I cannot tell you how many doors that opened up for me in fitness and in working with older adults. 
I would go to gyms and say, hey, I'm Silver Sneaker Certified Instructor. And it was like, they just needed instructors. So mm-hmm. it opened up so many doors and this whole world of working with older adults that I didn't go into thinking like I was going to work with older adults, but it has just been hugely rewarding. I have loved it so much. And I didn't think I would. I just, it was just kind of something I'm like, well, Jan says I should, so I will. <laughs> um, and it led me to getting a job with Silver Sneakers years ago. And it just sent me on the path that I've just found hugely rewarding. So I thank you for Oh, well, um, you're going to make me cry, Eris. <laughs> I mean, I, as a professor, you know, my goal is to, help students find where they should go. And as you said, you didn't know. I didn't know when I was a student. I had no idea. And one of my professors said, there's a job down at Leisure World, which is now Laguna Woods in um, Orange County. Why don't you try that job? And I'm like, all right, you know, type of thing. And I fell in love with working with the older adult. So it's like that when I had that for me, and I became a professor, I knew that's what I wanted to do for students, whether it was working with the older adult or working with athletes or working with children or or whatever, just helping them to find their path. And so when a student comes back and says, I found my path, I just, it just gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I can only imagine. And it's been a bit of a wandering path. I mean, I I think I told you that I I kind of rebounded back to fitness. I took a break for a while and I realized when I reflected back on all of the work that I've done in this industry, it was working with the older adults that I found the most meaningful. And it kind of removed that whole image that comes with fitness, you know, like you have to change your body and you have to look a certain way. And, and it's really turned that side of fitness has really turned me off, but when we can work with people, it's all about getting their physical abilities that improves their quality of life. That's the value of fitness to me. That's what I want to be working towards. I 100% agree. I really wanted to have you on because you're very involved in the fitness industry. Yeah. And I really want to get your take on questions that come to me because I've been promoting getting the fit over 50 crowd into being a health and fitness professional and considering this as a second act career. And one of the questions I get is what certifications do I get? What's the education I should get? And there's so many certifications out there, education programs. What do you choose? So I was wondering how you would answer that question. How do you think somebody should think about paving their education certification path in this industry? Yeah, it's interesting because as a professor, you know, I'm all about get the formal degree and get your certification and all of that. But a lot of times... Coming in later in life, which I think is a fantastic job opportunity for people coming in later in life. But I also think it also benefits the client because they're with somebody who has like experiences. And having students come back to the university later in life, I love it. We don't get a lot, but we do get some. And I will be honest, they tend to be our best students because they're dedicated, they know what they want to do. You know, as a 20-year-old, you're still out partying and, you know, that's a thing. School's there, but, you know, I want to do it, but uh, I got other things going on. But that being said, I also believe that you can be a self-learner. 
And I stress this with our undergraduate students and our graduate students that even though you have the degree, you're not done learning. You are never done learning. I continue to take education courses through different organizations every year. And so when somebody comes to me later in life and says, yeah, I think I want to do this. I'm like, great. Let's get you started on understanding where the education comes from. And there are really great organizations out there that provide education. And there's some that are a little suspect that they don't have the um, credentials behind them to offer the education. So when you're looking at this, one, I suggest that you get certified. I believe everyone in our industry should be certified, whether it's as a personal trainer, a group exercise instructor, a health coach, a strength and conditioning coach, whatever it may be, yoga, Pilates, whatever it may be. A certification shows that you know the basic standards of the industry to keep people safe. Right? That, is, that is basically what a certification is. It isn't to say that you know everything. It, it's the base level of it. You know what to do to keep people safe. So getting a certification. What certification to get? It, it, that, oh, that's a tough one. There are several organizations that we can kind of consider the, the heavy hitters. They have been around a long time. They have the proper credentials behind them. And they go through the most rigid standards when setting their examination process. And so those would be the American College of Sports Medicine, or ACSM, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, or NSCA, ACE, which is the American Council on Exercise, AFA, which is, oh, they changed it. It used to be a, the Aerobics and Fitness Association of America, but I think they changed their acronym recently. And then you have um, NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Those five organizations, and actually NASM and AFA, they're one company. NASM recently bought AFA a couple of years ago, um, but they, they keep things separate, but they are one organization. Those five organizations, you cannot go wrong with their certifications. You need to choose what type of certification you, you want to get. Do you want to be a group exercise instructor? Do you want to be a personal trainer? The American College of Sports Medicine or ACSM, they have a, a, a certification for exercise physiologists. With that one, you must have a degree. National Strength and Conditioning Association, they have what's called the CSCS, which is the Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach. That one, you also have to have a degree in the area in. But if you don't want to work with athletes, that's not the degree, that's not the certification to get. So with that, it's it that probably was a ton of information that they just spouted off. So Great. apologize for that. But get certified. And then once you're and they have workshops to help you study for the exams. But once you're you've gone through that certification, you need to continue your education through attending conferences or conventions or doing online education through these companies, as well as a few additional ones. Yeah, that that's great. I, I love that advice on that. At what point do you think people should get a degree in this? If you want to work with athletes, you you really need a degree. And really, you need a master's degree 
especially if you want to work at the collegiate level or higher. They won't even look at you if you don't have a master's degree as well as your CSCS, which is from the National Strength and Conditioning Associations. If you want to work with special populations, I would suggest getting a degree. And older adults fall into that special populations category. However, I kind of divide it up because within the older adult world, we have older adults who are elite athletes and who are extremely independent. And then you have your older adults who might be frail or maybe they might be dependent upon somebody else for helping them with their living situation. If you want to work with that frail population and beyond, you really should get a degree because there's a lot of information that you need to know regarding the physiological aspects that uh, they go through as you grow older. If you want to work with that healthy older adult who really doesn't have a lot of issues, you, you might not need that degree. Are there other programs like the CSULB program on fitness and for older adults? People are interested in actually pursuing that level of education. Because I thought that Long Beach had kind of a unique, that's like fitness is unique. I don't see that anywhere else when I was looking at universities. Yeah, we are we're about the only university in the country that uh, has a degree specifically for the fitness industry. A lot of universities have a kinesiology degree with an exercise science emphasis. And that degree is more if you want to go the clinical route, like pre-physical therapy, pre-med school, you know, that sort of thing. But we are just about the only one in the country that really focuses in on the fitness industry. And we are the only university west of the, or actually, in, we're the only university in the entire country that is accredited by the American College of Sports Medicine for both exercise science and personal training. Our degree is the only one in the country that has gone through that. And in California, we are the only university that has either accreditation. So it is a unique degree, but there are some other degrees that really focus in on the older adult. For example, when I got my doctorate, I went to the University of Kansas because at the time they had a strong gerontology emphasis within their kinesiology department. Cal State Fullerton, so just up the road from Long Beach, they have a really strong emphasis in gerontology within their kinesiology program. There's other universities around the country, and it's, it's, you have to do your research on it because it's not put out there that, oh, we have gerokinesiology. That would be pretty unique. Um, but you have to kind of look at what the professors are studying and the courses that they offer for their students. Okay. Yeah, that's great advice. When you say that Long Beach is accredited by ACSM, what does that mean exactly? What that means is that um, we have gone through a very rigid process to have our curriculum um, analyzed and reviewed and held to certain standards. And in 2027, um, in order to sit for an ACSM certification, you have to have a the ones that require degrees to sit for. You have to have a degree that is from an accredited university. 
So, yeah, big change, big change in the industry. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about trying to level up the education for Mm -hmm. personal trainers. And I think there's, I know there's been talk for years about licensing. Mm -hmm. Do you see that being a future trend? Yeah, I would, I would love to say yes, but it's going to be a very uphill battle. And one of the biggest oppositions to this happening is from the physical therapists. They don't want it to happen. Why is that? Because it will take money away from them. Mm. And they have paid their dues with a very strong education. They must get a doctorate. And if we can start as personal trainers, start collecting insurance payments, it can possibly take away from physical therapists. So there's a lot of opposition. Now, not all physical therapists believe that. A lot of physical therapists believe there's a continuation of services. And so, you know, insurance companies only will allow certain amount of physical therapy sessions, and then you're cut off. And so they don't want to see their clients who aren't quite there yet just be gone. So a lot of times they will pass them on to a a trainer to continue on with the care. So it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things that will be going on. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's interesting. This is a really hot topic about how do we get health insurance companies to pay Mm -hmm. for fitness and pay for personal training? I think that's a very complex, I don't know the answer to that, but I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's been a hot topic for about 25 years. (laughs) And so it's, it's, I mean, I can remember when I started in the industry, which was in the 80s, you know, so that's a long time ago, you know, 20, 35 years ago or so. It was a hot topic then of how can we get this to happen? And we just haven't been able to get it to be accomplished. It, I am good with it to happen, but along with it comes a lot more regulation. And I think we would lose a lot of people, a lot of good trainers in the industry because they might have to require the degree. And we have a lot of good trainers who don't have a degree. You know, group exercise instructors, especially, most of them don't have a degree in the, in the industry. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think about that, the domino effect of that. Yeah, it's a really tricky one. Which I think is what Silver Sneakers was trying to do. I think that they've kind of paved the way of trying to get health insurance companies to pay for fitness. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, certain insurance companies, once you, you know, have passed that, what is it, 65, they'll pay for a gym membership, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you go into a gym, you might not have ever been in one, and it's like, what do I do? How do I even get started? And it's great that they pay for the gym membership, but those services need to continue. Exactly. They were the ones that kind of started getting something involved with with health insurance. But yeah, it'd be great to go further because it is just a gym membership that people get. And it was shocking to me how few people actually take advantage of that silver sneakers benefit. Um, yes. Very, very small, small percentage yeah. of people took advantage of their silver sneakers membership. Yeah. It, it's, it's, int- I, I work with a, quite a few older adults and 
the ones that I work with right now, they're very fit and they will have a gym membership at two or three gyms <laughs> that is paid for because they're like, well, I like the classes here. I like the classes there. I like this. And, you know, that time works for me. And I'm like, man, you know how to work the system. And once I get to that age, you're going to teach me. <laughs> yeah. We had like the super users, but the vast majority right. did not use that membership. And it's changed quite a bit since I've worked for the company. I'm just talking about the experience that I had but at, at that time. But yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting situation to see if healthcare would get involved with fitness. How would you tell somebody to approach their new career in health and fitness? If they're making a pivot from something different and they want to become a health and fitness professional, how would you advise them on starting that career path? I would advise them, one, to think of it as a really good opportunity to use the skills that they've learned in their previous career and now apply them to the industry. Because they have individuals that start later in life, they have these unique sets of skills. You know, it might be all those soft skills that people talk about that our younger generation is struggling with because of always being on their phones and you know not being able to communicate and that sort of thing. Our older fitness professionals, they've got those soft skills. So think of that as their superpower that they can make a connection. And that's great. So that is, is one fantastic thing. The other thing is, is then just get into education, whether it be a formal education through a university or whether it be through conventions or online webinars or mentorship with somebody who's already in the industry. Start dipping your toes in, finding what you like, because we don't all like working with every single client. If you ask me to train a child, I'll be like, no, no. <laughs> if you ask me to train an athlete, I'm like, no, I don't want to because I, I, don't, I don't care for what their goals are. You know, I, I like to see, I like to work with older adult and I like to specifically work with older adult women because of the unique health considerations that they have. And so when I do continuing education, it's geared to that. I'm not just doing education for the sake of education. I'm going to really focus in and go, this is what I need to learn. This is what I want to see what's going on in the industry. Um, One of the things that I, I loved about being a part of the program was the internship. We <laughs> had to do so many hours at, I think it was like corporate fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, commercial fitness and then maybe clinical. I forget. There's like different areas that we had to have so many hours working in. Yeah, it's that is a really big plus of our degree. We require 620 hours of internship for our students to graduate. And it we do it as the commercial setting. So your typical gym or personal training studio or yoga studio, whatever that may be. We also have them do what we call special populations, and that could be working for corporate fitness, which is companies that have gyms for their employees. It could be working with athletes, it could be working with children, it could be working with medical fitness, and they have to do 620 hours between the two areas. And it really allows students to understand what I like and what I don't like. And I always tell the student, it is just as important for you to understand what you don't like 
because then you never have to think about it again. <laughs> As it, and then you can focus on what you do like. Yeah. Yeah. I wish there was internship opportunities for people that are doing this like mid-career, mid-life as a second act kind of thing. I don't know. There's an answer to this, but how would you simulate that? Because that real life work experience is so important. You see this with yoga. Like they have the 200 hour yoga. Like you don't get your certification until you've taught yoga for 200 hours. Yeah. And I, I just wish there was more opportunities like that for fitness professionals to get their hands dirty in this in this field to see like, okay, you know, do you really like personal training? Yeah. But you can. You can do this at any age. Um, you just have to find a facility that's willing to take you on as an intern or as a mentor. There are some professionals in the industry that actually hold professional mentorship programs for people in the industry. They want to learn a new skill. So, you know, they 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 purchase and it, it's not cheap, but they purchase time with this professional and they will train them on how to do things. There is also if you're, you know, maybe you have a smaller personal training studio or a gym in your area, go in and ask them, can can I do an internship here? Can I volunteer just to get your foot in the door and see what's going on? In our industry, Erin, it is so critical for you to be pushing all the time. I want to learn. I want to learn. Help me learn. You can't sit back and go, all right, maybe somebody will teach me. That's not how our industry works. The fitness professionals in our industry are very giving people. We wouldn't have chosen this field if we weren't, if we weren't people, people, and if we weren't there to help individuals. And usually it's towards our clients, but it also is towards other fitness professionals. I speak at conferences on developing internship and mentorship programs for facilities. There are benefits to the facility to have you come in as an intern or as a volunteer because they are actually helping to train a future employee. And in our industry, we lose employees quite frequently. And so they are helping to train somebody that might be a potential employee for them. So it's, it's, it's not just a one-way street where the, the person is getting the information from the trainer or for the gym owner or whatever it may be. It is a two-way street that gym owner or that personal trainer is getting a benefit as well. Yeah, most definitely. And those mentorship opportunities are, are priceless. And I think that's, that's the benefit of working at a facility, a gym, or, you know, where you're with other fitness professionals because you can learn from them. But there's also a lot of opportunity to work as a solopreneur in this yes. field. And a lot of the people I've interviewed, almost everybody I've interviewed on this podcast is a solopreneur. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice or um, resources for people that don't want to work for a gym and think they want to go out on their own? Yeah, I... I would suggest working for a gym for a little bit because as you said, Erin, you get to learn from other people. You get to learn systems on, all right, how do I, how do I make that connection to sell my services? And our industry, we're such people, people, you know, that we're like, oh, I, I don't want to do sales. Sales is horrible. But everything you do in life is sales. 
<laughs> so you need to learn some systems on that. And then when you're ready to go out on your own, there are there are organizations that have business education for the fitness professional. For example, Idea Health and Fitness Association, which I know you're familiar with, they are down in San Diego. For their conferences, there's always a business track. And it might be, how do I, how do, I do social media to attract qualified buyers is what we call it. Or how do I start a gym? Or how do I package my services? There's another organization that is called the Association of Fitness Studios, which is really focused on the business aspect of owning a studio. But a solopreneur can, if they're, say they're mobile training and they're going to their clients' homes or, or the client is coming to a facility where they pay a fee, that organization also helps those individuals. Going out on your own is tough. It's, it's, it's something you have to work out constantly. I, I own my own company as well as being a professor. So I own Garage Girls Fitness, which focuses on women that have, have or are going through the menopausal transition and beyond. And it's, it's a lot of work. I, I'm happy with the number of clients that I've had. And some of them I've had for 15 years. In May, we'll be celebrating our 15-year anniversary, and about half my clients are from way back then. But how I got them because I worked at a gym. And when I transitioned, and I worked for that gym for over 20 years. And when COVID hit, we all got let go. And, you know, but throughout that time, I started slowly building my clientele outside. So there are organizations and, and, and education to help you get that start. My biggest thing is make sure you carry liability insurance because you never know what's going to happen. Yes. And it's actually surprisingly not that expensive. No, it's less than $200 a year. A year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it's not that expensive and it's worth every penny. (laughs) You must have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I'll do expert witnessing for lawsuits in the industry. And my first question when they contact me is, do you have, you know, do you have your liability insurance? And when they say no, I just want to break down and cry because I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's just one of those things that you really need to have. Yes. If you're going on your own, you must, yes. must, mm-hmm. must. Is there anything else that you think people should think about and consider before working in this field? Yes. There's a couple of things. One is realize that you most likely will not have just one job in our industry. Over 30% of the fitness professionals perform more than one role. So they might be a personal trainer and a group exercise instructor, or a health coach and a strength and conditioning coach, or a nutrition specialist and you know something else. A yoga instructor. We we tend to hold more than one position and we have to hustle. So if you are not somebody who has a lot of energy and is willing to look at different opportunities, it's probably not the right field for you. It's very unusual to have a 40-hour-a-week job in fitness unless you are in a management position. Most personal trainers 
and group exercise instructors are part-time. And that's okay, because that mm -hmm. might be what you're looking for. Something mm -hmm. as the second career to keep you busy, to bring in a little extra money, to help people, then that's fantastic. But you, you really have to have the energy to go, okay, I'm up at five to train. I'm done at 10. I'm back at four because of how people, their work schedules. But the nice thing with older adults is when you work with older adults is it's all during the morning, not super early. It doesn't go into the evening. So it's a, it's a little bit better of a life balance when you work with older adults and train and or teach older adults. Definitely. It is a different schedule. And the thing about working in fitness is that it is, it's an hourly thing. I mean, you are, whenever you train or you teach, you, it's hourly. So to a degree, you can make up your own schedule, especially mm -hmm. as you get really established and you have a client base. But it can be hard to get used to if you're used to having a traditional job. Like you, you have the nine to five, 40 hour work week job, you get a salary. That is not typical if you're going for training and teaching. And so I've had people that want to transition to a career in health and fitness, but they're looking to replace their 40-hour workweek job. So they're going from a regular, in air quotes, jobs to health and fitness. And, and they're thinking, well, how, how much income am I going to make? Like, how much money can I make? And it's so, there's so many variables. I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah, and it, it, it can be a tough transition if you are saying I need to make the same amount of money that I did elsewhere right now. It can maybe come as time goes by, but when you're making that transition, as you said, it's an hourly type rate. And when you aren't established or you aren't seen as an expert in a particular, you know, maybe osteoporosis, then it it's it's a little more challenging until you get yourself established. So we do lose quite a few trainers because of that. But if you're willing to put in the work and willing to explore not just being a trainer, but doing other things in the industry, you can definitely make a, a good living. Most definitely. I, I think my peak income in this field, I felt like I was doing all the things. I was mm -hmm. personal training. I was teaching group exercise. I got wellness coach certification. Mm -hmm. I started offering workshops. I did all the things in one month. And oh my God, that was my biggest paycheck ever. But you know, it's a split shift, working mm -hmm. weekends. And that's only if you know you really want to make a certain income level. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of choose how much you want to work to a degree. And if you're mm -hmm. working in a gym, it might be a little bit more regimented on the hours required from you. But there's plenty of part-time opportunities. You were involved in the fitness industry compensation report that IDEA put out. Mm -hmm. which I love that they had that. And did anything about that report stand out to you? Yeah, I've been writing that report for years. And we when oh gosh, we used to do it every other year. And then uh, IDEA went through some transition with ownership and that sort of thing. And so it's been seven years since we actually have published the compensation report. And it was interesting because one, we, we did find out that a large percentage of our fitness professionals who are not in a management position are doing hybrid work, meaning they have more than one role. 
in order to to create their 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 profession. And we always suspected it, but it was never like, oh, you know, is it true? You know, we just always kind of assumed. But it, it, you know, we were like, okay, that's good. We also, with this, found out that for all of our positions, except for group exercise instructors and fitness floor staff, they are all above the national average for hourly rate, which is great. That's amazing. We have some work to do with group exercise instructors and fitness floor staff to get them up to that. But considering all the positions that we surveyed, that's, that's actually quite good. All of the positions, of course, saw an increase in pay since 2015, which you would assume. But when we, when we looked at inflation, not everybody kept up with inflation. And so, again, that's kind of interesting as to, all right, we got some work to do. The other things that we, we saw that I, we've seen this in previous surveys is that if you work for a gym as compared to working on your own, when you work on your own, you make more money than when you work for a gym. Mm -hmm. But when you work for a gym, you have more clients mm -hmm. because clients are fed. Whereas when you work on your own, you have to physically find those clients. Whereas at a gym, people are there and you have access to them. So there's a trade-off with that. And that's why I always say start in a gym. Mm -hmm. Develop mm -hmm. that clientele. And then when yeah. you're ready, go out on your own. And some, not all of the clients, but some clients may go with you because they're loyal. Yeah. They're loyal. Right. Right. And that kind of comes back to, you know, paying for certifications. Like if you want to do group X and you go to get a certification for that, how do you think somebody should look at the ROI for getting, because it's like, okay, I, I really, like this is a retirement job for me. I really only want to teach a handful of hours a week and I'm going to pay, let's just say three or $400 for a certain group X cert. Like how much time is it going to take me to, to get that back? How do you think people should look at the ROI for when they're looking at do, paying for a certification like Group X and really doing this as a truly part-time job? Yeah, it's, it, that, that's a super interesting question because, you know, if you take a look at, let, let's use Zumba because I've been certified with Zumba forever. And you have your initial certification and then you have a monthly fee that you have to pay. It's expensive. It probably works out to almost uh, over $400 a year to keep my certification in Zumba. Do I, I don't, I will make that back sort of, you know, but then you have to pay for your music and then you have to pay for, you know, the appropriate shoes and the appropriate attire and all of that, your music and so on and so forth. So as a group exercise instructor, if you're only teaching two classes a week, you're not going to make your money back. But here's where I switch it. When you teach group exercise, and maybe you do some personal training on the side, you are more likely to get training clients from your group exercise classes because they see you as the expert. 
And if you mention, hey, I do personal training as well. So if you're looking to do X, Y, and Z, come see me. And it's a natural source of potential clients. So you kind of have to look at it that way. Or you might just want to teach for the pure joy of it. I teach dance because I, I love it. I love the feeling it gives me and I want to impart that on other people. So I'm not as concerned about, am I making the money back? It's not the financial aspect that is my return on investment. It's my, my sense of joy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's priceless. I agree. I love the interactions that I have in group exercise class. The paycheck is is cherry on top for me. Mm-hmm. I would do it even if I didn't get paid. That's how much I love <laughs> it. And I think that the the length of time that I've held a certification has made it worthwhile. I feel it, like I've gotten my money back because I've held a certification for so long and I used it. Like I had an indoor cycling certification and I, I taught that format for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so it was worth every penny of the $300 that I paid to get certified right. in that. And it was something that I did on the side when I had my like regular job. But I, you know, I think it was totally worth the ROI that I paid for that and the amount of fun that I had teaching that. And the community that you develop. I mean, I, that to me is, I look at my group of women that we are together four hours a week because I teach four classes privately. And they give me such joy and they support each other. And in this world where we're becoming disconnected, group exercise is the ultimate connector. And I, I mean, I, we've gone through divorces. We've gone through the death of spouses. We've gone through moves. We've gone through all of these horrific things, you know, breast cancer. Uh, there's out of out of 15 of us, four of us have had breast cancer and we were there to support each other. And so it's not just me helping them. They help me and they help each other. And that connectiveness to me is worth everything. Absolutely. I love the community that you can build in a mm-hmm. exercise class and those connections that people have during class, before and after class. I think are just as beneficial to their well-being as the actual exercise itself, maybe even more so. Yep. I 100% agree with you, Erin, because that social connection is critical. And I just love when, you know, the clients come in and they'll tell me, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so, we went to, we took a walk at the beach. I'm like, they're supporting each other's health and fitness goals, even during times where they might not feel it. And they're like, nope, get up, let's go. You're coming with me type of thing. And so they support each other. And what a better, I mean, I I don't think there's any better way to help somebody in their fitness journey than developing a community where they feel wanted, they feel needed, and they feel loved. Yes, yes. I love that so much. And you can look at the money for a certification, but the joy that you get from bringing people together and creating community, you just can't put a price tag on that. It's hugely rewarding. Okay, I want to honor your time. One thing I wanted to ask you about that I saw in your bio was that you are the co-director of the Fit Lab. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So our lab at 
at the university is called the Fit Lab. So the Fitness and Integrated Training Lab. And what we do is we do research in the fitness industry. And it's myself and four other faculty members. Two of them are professors and two of them are lecturers. So the five of us, we will do research. We all have a little bit different of a, of a swing on things. One of our faculty members, Dr. Kelly Walters, she focuses on this within the industry that people may not even know that they have. Dr. Michelle Allencar, she focuses on telehealth. So she's kind of at that cutting edge of insurance with telemedicine, telehealth. She has, we all have our own companies because that's what we do in fitness. You know, you have one job, you have another company. <laughs> I study a lot of fitness trends within the, within the industry. So that might be compensation trends, programming trends. So I, I work with a lot of companies that develop equipment. And in order for them to say that it's effective, they actually have to do research around it. And so we'll do the research within our labs. And then I do research with older adults as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's part of our, our requirements as professors. You got to publish. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that just sounds amazing. <laughs> Has anything come out of the lab recently that's you think worth mentioning? Um, with Dr. Walters, she had a really good research article on weight bias within the industry and how personal trainers and group exercise are actually biased towards individuals who are overweight. And so that's something that we need to work on. I've had a couple research studies recently on different types of equipment or programs to see how beneficial they were. And so those were kind of interesting. And then Michelle Allen she does a lot of, like I said, telemedication and telehealth and looking at special populations such as diabetes and how does health coaching help with somebody who is diabetic? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting about the bias thing. Something that's come up with colleagues is the underrepresentation of older adults for exercise programs. You know, you go to, to yes. fitness websites, whether it be exercise programs or gym, and hearing this firsthand from the adults we serve, they don't see themselves in right. the marketing and advertising. And I think that's huge. And I, I would love to uh -huh. see more of that be incorporated into fitness marketing and, and the strong fit over 50. Mm -hmm. Because I see way too many stock image photos of an older adult holding a tiny dumbbell, <laughs> doing a shoulder press. And it makes yeah. me crazy. Yeah. It makes me crazy. And yes. I think that's why people take into Instagram and different social media accounts because they do not see themselves represented yep. in marketing. And they mm -hmm. want to show this is what 60 can look like. This is what 70 can look like. You can yeah. lift heavy barbells. You can be a woman over 60 doing weighted pull-ups. And we want you to because it helps with bone density. <laughs> yes. Yes. And falls. Yes. <laughs> and not all of those pictures are being circulated. Yeah. I, I would love to see more of that. Yeah, I had one of my clients, Nancy, she was a physical education teacher for, for years before she retired. She's in her mid-70s and she has the most awesome shoulders I have ever seen. I'm like, Nancy, I want that deltoid cut that you've got. And she's 75, you know, and it's like, that's fantastic. 
And I look at my mom. My mom's in her mid-80s and she works out with me. She lives across the country, but I have uh, from my Garage Girls website, I have online workouts and she works out with me every day, six days a week she does. And I love it. And, you know, she is, she's fit and she's 83. Had to do my math there. (laughs) And I I agree. The the small dumbbell thing drives me insane. It absolutely drives me insane because it it, it gives the impression that this is all you should be doing. This is Mm -hmm. how much you should lift. And it's not. It is exactly. I actually just posted an article about this where when you put people in a room with dumbbells no bigger than five pounds, mm-hmm. you have communicated to them that that's all you think that they are capable of. Yeah. And we need to change the workout environments. And that that is even in our regular gyms in the group exercise room. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more than 10 pounds usually. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that is, you know, that's not appropriate for all people. Yes, there are some people that might need that lower weight. But this is even for younger people that they're going, women should only be about 10 pounds. No, I want you, I want you, I want you lifting heavy mm-hmm. because it's going to make you feel better. It's going to make you live longer. It's going to make you live longer in better health. Yes. Yeah. And I think they need to see more of themselves. Of yeah. Other women lifting Heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Weights that you can do this over 70 and it's safe and it's it's actually probably safer than if you don't wait. I could really talk a lot about this subject. Um, but <laughs> I don't realize how much we limit people. Yeah. Um it, it, by environments, the words that we use, things mm-hmm. like that. And I want to be a part of the amazing professionals out there that are leveling up the training that we are doing for older adults. Mm-hmm. Um, because they do not need to be in chairs no. all the time. No. The more they stay in a chair, the more they're going to be in a chair. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay, Jan, I want to wrap this up. Is there any last things that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't already talked about? No, I mean, I think just to kind of wrap it up with, if you're thinking of coming into the fitness industry as a second career later in life, I want to welcome you with open arms. I think we need it. I think it will help other older adults see that they can do it because they see that you've done it. They see that you work out at a higher level. They can work out at a higher level. And I think that people who are older coming into this field, if you specialize working with the older adult, you are going to have a clientele and that clientele is going to be loyal to you. So come join us. Come come to our sessions. Come to our conferences. <laughs> yes. Say hi when I when you see me at a conference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Come join us. Okay. Jan, thank you so much for your time. I might have to have you come back. I just love talking to you after it's been so many years since I've been your student. But I love to keep in touch and maybe we'll have you back again. Yeah. And Erin, I am just, I'm so proud of you and what you've accomplished that, you know, it might've been 20 some years ago that you were in school, but I have never forgotten you because you were an excellent student. You've always just did excellent work. You started our fitness majors association, which still is running today. And so I'm just, I'm really proud of everything you've accomplished in your career. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jan. I appreciate you. At the end of my interview, I had asked Jan some personal questions I had about specific training programs and certification programs that I was interested in, and I really wish I had recorded the conversation. So I'm going to provide a recap of our conversation, and it was around the difference between certifications versus a certificate of completion. So a certification is a standardized process where individuals are demonstrating that they have a level of knowledge and skill in a profession, and assessments and tests are done to demonstrate that they have those qualifications, and they have that required knowledge to be practicing in the field. Not all certifications are created equal, and accredited certifications, like the ones Jan had mentioned here, have more credibility because the program is reviewed by a third party and it ensures that it meets the standards for being a professional in the field. Accredited certifications are often what's required for employment at fitness wellness institutions. Certificates provide instruction and training to acquire certain knowledge and skills, and participants are usually required to demonstrate that they have the learning outcomes. They're not as rigorous as a certification. And this is a great way to get continuing education, Zumba and indoor cycling are a couple of examples of certification courses. Some places may require that you have additional certificates to show that you are trained to teach in certain formats or work with certain populations. One way to tell a certification from a certificate is if CEUs are provided. CEUs stand for Continuing Education Units, and they are required for fitness professionals to renew their certifications, and it keeps them up to date with knowledge. If a course or certificate is offering CEUs, it is a certificate. Uh, And I thought this was an important distinction to review. There are so many courses, certificates, and certifications for health and fitness professionals, and understanding the difference between these can help you determine the credential path that you may want to pursue depending on where you are working and what you may want to do in this field. In the show description, I have a link to an article that ACE Fitness put out about the difference between certifications, certificates, courses, and CEUs as reference material. If you're interested in exploring a second act career in health and fitness, sign up for the Second Act Fit Pros newsletter. I provide information on online events I host and opportunities to connect with current health and fitness professionals, as well as those who are aspiring to work in the field. A link to sign up for the newsletter can be found in the show description.